0: Good morning, church. Uh, Let me open with prayer. I'm Pastor Isaac, and I'm going to pray uh, from 1 Peter, from chapter 4. Um, Let us pray. Dear God, we are in your presence. May 1 Peter 4.11 be true of me today. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. God is an incredible designer. The Bible, this grand storyline, introduces us to God, and it begins. In the beginning, God created. God has created an incredible world. Can we get that first slide up, please? The suspense is building. In the beginning, there was dark. And then, still dark. God created an incredible world. Uh, On Rebecca and Maya's honeymoon, we went to Hamilton Island. It was good. God is an incredible designer. Uh, Two weeks ago, this puppy became a Milburn. It is good. God is an incredible designer. That is 1.3 kilos of pup. Being married. It is good. God is an incredible designer. God designed us, and God calls His design specifically of you very good. Then we jump forward in this grand storyline, and we come to one Peter. We come to 1 Peter two verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Something has gone terribly wrong. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. These deviations from the good design of God are the symptoms of our rejection of God. The 1 Peter begins with the command to control our conduct, to put it away. The Greek Peter uses here conveys Chuck that dirty conduct away like you would a dirty nappy. You get rid of it. You don't hang around it. It has no place in your life. No one stores up dirty nappies. God's design for humanity was always holiness, for Christians to live as God's example in God's world, to give God's way. Our failure to conduct our lives in line with God's good design has caused much damage and much hurt to us. Throughout the passage, Peter uses construction imagery. This passage is an invitation for us to reconsider our lives, to look at doing a reno, to embrace a new beginning. I don't think you... I'm not sure if you've noticed, but TV is full of renovation shows these days. Um, So look around your block, explore with me God's house rules, and together we can grow into God's grand design for us. And that's about as many construction TV references I'm going to get into the rest of the sermon. Embrace a fresh start this morning... Look with me with fresh eyes at yourself and dream with me what God's good design for you looks like. Verses 2 to 3. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that it, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Take inspiration from the newborn infant. They depend they survive and they thrive just on milk. It sustains their nutrition completely. So what is this pure spiritual milk that will sustain us? Let us demystify the word spiritual for you. In this particular context, it can also mean of the word. It's sort of got that range of meaning. So long for the pure milk of the word. Look to the grand storyline that introduces God, the Bible. But not because the Bible in and of itself will save you, but for who the Bible introduces you to, the God who saves. Long to connect with God with an intimacy that a child has with its mother. Depend on God like a child depends on its mother's milk. I think we too often think of salvation as freedom from dirty conduct and miss that salvation is freedom from relation is freedom for relationship to God. We grow up with our salvation, we grow up into our salvation as our relationship with God grows. The transformation of conduct is a byproduct of our intimacy with God. In some sense, think of that friend you hang out with. The more you spend time with them, the more you realize you pick up all those weird habits they have. And transformed conduct is a wonderful, a great tangible reassurance of God's active presence in our lives. But it's still the byproduct, the fruit, not the tree. The stark reality is plenty of good people will go to hell because salvation is not through good conduct. But for the balance, look at verse 12 perhaps briefly because it will remind us of the powerful witness of the good conduct. But never forget the true treasure of salvation. The Lord is good. Taste this. Engage all your senses in it begin a renovation of your relationship with a longing for intimacy with God. Perhaps there was room for cooking show TV references there. 1 Peter is so much greater than rules for good conduct management. We're going to work through verses 4-8 to to and we're going to look at it from different angles. Look for what Peter preaches to us about Jesus. Look for what Peter preaches to us about ourselves. The two are connected. Who we are designed to be is seen in Jesus. Verses 4. As you come to him, that is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, and he quotes from Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. This is Psalm 118, 22. The stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. And then he quotes from Isaiah 8, verse 14, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Then he explains, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Jesus is described as a living stone, as a cornerstone, the block from which everything else is built. And remember that Peter is actually the name that Simon was given. Peter or Petros, it means rock. Peter has his name in the game. He's invested in the theme. And we, we learn this in the Gospel of Matthew in verse 16, verse 18. It says, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, as a bit of an aside, a bit of a freebie, this verse has influenced the model of the church for over a millennium. And it still influences particularly the Catholic church today. Now, any interpretation of this verse needs to be seen on how Peter understands it. it seems pretty self-explanatory to look to how Peter thinks of the rock, yet often that's not done. I don't really get why, but that's their call. Peter proclaims Jesus as the rock, the living stone, and all believers are like the living stone, being built into a spiritual house, all with the commission as a holy priesthood. But more about that later. This rock image, it's taken from the Old Testament, the sort of part one of the grand storyline of God. And Peter quotes first from Isaiah, then the Psalms, and then Isaiah again. The Old Testament background for these is going to help us get the foundation for what is going on here. Peter is building this picture of Jesus and his followers as living stones. And it's from a core theme the temple. Now, the temple was the place where God established his presence on earth. You could call it God's earthly home. And the temple was designed as a centre for worship of God to ground the people of God. A sure foundation for comfort and for confidence, a tangible presence of God. Isaiah 28, 16, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay in Zion, in this case, that's a reference to Jerusalem, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation, I love this next verse. The one who relies on it will be never stricken with panic. What a great reassuring verse. The design of God's temple and the use of God's temple became tragically miles apart. I was surprised when I found this description in Isaiah 28, just earlier on in verse 7. Uh, Earlier, judgment is pronounced on Israel... The priest had treated the temple of God like a boozed-up, vomit-filled, seedy nightclub. Don't believe me? Look at Isaiah 28, verse 7, the second half. Priests and prophets stagger from beer. They stagger when they see visions. They stumble when rendering decisions. All the tables are covered with vomit. There is not a spot without filth. As an aside... Um, An aside to the aside. Look to, if you look at the next verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 28, 8, you'll see where Peter gets his newborn image from. It's cool when you can't to see where their mind was traveling through uh, as he was writing Peter. God's purpose for the temple was rejected. So God removed his presence from it note reject relationship with god and the conduct of god's holy way gets rejected too god's presence results in joy or judgment the choice is in your hands Listen to Isaiah 8, verse 13 and 14. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He's the one you are to fear. He's the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. I remember driving in traffic. I was watching this car race through at... Crazy breakneck speeds, it was unsafe, it was dangerous. Um, Minutes later, I come and I see that same car pulled over. Those flashing lights were going. For me, that was a very joyful moment. But for the driver of that car, not so much. You see, it was the same police officer, but two very different reactions. God's presence results in joy or judgment. The choice is in your hands. Honor God, His presence is an awesome joy. Reject God, and His same presence will be your rightly judged downfall. So have you ever marveled at the incredible mercy and the incredible merciful persistence of God? Consider humanity's story with God. God designed a very good world for us to enjoy and to enjoy His presence in forever. We reject God. God chooses a people who He cares for, He loves, He established into a nation. He builds this temple to be present with them, and God is rejected. God persists sending prophets judges and kings people who were called to call his people back to him his prophets are killed his temple defiled he repeatedly has his mercy scorned vomited on what more could god do what did god have left to give that he hadn't already It reminds me of a parable. God sends his most chosen and precious son, Jesus, the new cornerstone of his presence. Jesus is rejected, killed on a cross outside of Jerusalem. The building block that God sent to restore his relationship with his people once again is rejected and rejected by, in some sense, the very people who were meant to be the builders of God's temple, the expanders of God's presence on earth. So when we look back to Peter, how can Peter, more than Peter, how can God declare that Jesus, the rejected stone, has become the cornerstone, the foundation for restored presence with his people, how can there be no shame for those people who believe in Jesus? Look back earlier. In Peter chapter 1, look back to verse 3. It says, I'll read it for you. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the, from the dead. You see, the history of humanity and God's people does not end with the death of Jesus. It is made with it. Because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. The presence of God lives or dies based on the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of God's... Sorry, the restoration of God's design for humanity hinges... ...on the resurrection of Jesus. And God did not have a contingency plan. But nor did he need one. You see, Jesus brought together in the most splendid way... ...humanity and the presence of God in himself. God's temple, it's it's a dim foreshadow by comparison... ...to the majesty and magnificence of Jesus. From this living cornerstone... Everything else is depending on. Everything is measured against this. Everything is built from this. Jesus is the living cornerstone. So that's the first angle. Who are we then? If this is who Jesus is, who are we? We are people designed to follow Jesus' example. Jesus is the cover photo of God's design, the Pinterest board of inspiration for the renovation for our lives. Jesus is everything humanity was designed to be. Remember verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And this is all through Jesus Christ. We are designed like the living stone. I wonder, at times, when we focus so much on the deity of Jesus, it's easy to miss an implication of his humanity. Jesus lived a perfect life with the same resources, with the same access to God that each of us has. The Christ hymn in Philippians 2, it says, uh, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Who has heard the phrase? Let's, let's be interactive. You've got a youth pastor here. Um, who has heard the phrase? You can put your hand up. I won't make you call out. To air is human. Neat line, right? Like, I I do agree with the doctrine of total depravity of humanity. That's a sermon for another time. But this is a poor line to express it. To err is not human. To err is sinful. God did not design us to sin, but rather for the perfection demonstrated in Jesus. True humanity is not sin. True humanity is Jesus. While we mess up, God is a good builder. Isn't it great we know that we have a builder who's done it before, who's lived the perfect life? God's design for you is to build you up through Jesus Christ. So from our rubble, Jesus is building you into a new home for God. A spiritual house, a new temple, and he commissions you to be God's holy priesthood. Savor this reality. Taste that the Lord is good. God is building you into a home for the presence of God. God's Holy Spirit is present in every Christian. We're going to get another one of those moments where you realize you've got a children's pastor preaching. Um, here's how I'd explain this to KidZone. zone. I was tempted to sing it. I'll spare you. These are the lyrics to a kid's song by Quizworks called God in Us. I trust Jesus. He went back to heaven. I trust Jesus. He is Lord forever. And I know that he will never forsake me because he sent his awesome helper. The awesome helper is the Holy Spirit. And I know that he lives inside me, the third person of the Holy Trinity, three persons One God is what that means. God in us, God in us. The Holy Spirit is God in us. God in us, God in us. Like an arrow pointing straight to Jesus. I know the Spirit gives me power to tell my friends about my Saviour. And I know that He is still changing me every day to be more like Jesus. New mythology, progressive sanctification, Trinity, kidsongs rule. Um, but just as a, something to look forward to. Quizworks, the writers of this song, will be present with us later in the year um, on Kids Own Presentation Day, so don't miss out. God in us, the temple made greater, more intimate, perhaps than you even than you ever dared imagine. I wonder, have you settled for a design of your life that is less than God's? Have you settled for a design of your life that is less than God's? Through Jesus Christ, God wants to be present at home in you. God's presence, it fills you with purpose. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, As the new temple of God, we are commissioned as a holy priesthood. Have you ever thought of yourself as a priest? Like, I'm not talking the robes and the, the, the little cross and the, the thing they wear around their neck. Have you ever thought of yourself as a priest, someone who declares and demonstrates the presence of God? The Bible calls you a Calls anyone who trusts in Jesus a priest. Now, the sacrifices of animals that looked forward to the sacrifice of Jesus are no longer needed. So, what does the new priesthood do? The new holy priesthood is to offer up spiritual sacrifices, it's just probably a lot less messy. Within the immediate context, Peter provides two focuses for our spiritual sacrifices. Proclaim the presence of God and keep conduct that honours the presence of God. So effective God-glorifying communication is to be consistent in the content proclaimed and the context in the conduct practice let me say that again effective communication is god effective god-glorifying communication is consistent in the content proclaimed and the conduct practiced do what you say and say what you do non-christians pick up inconsistent contact content and conduct as quickly as the lawyer that is a four-year-old do authenticity replicates fakes fail do what you say and say what you do be authentic these are the marching orders for god's priesthood these are a holy and royal commission and i love that god does not call us to proclaim some abstract concept Proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. God is calling us to proclaim His goodness out of our experience of salvation. With our use of the construction metaphor today to renovate our lives, I do want to make one implication clear. Christianity is not a mere upgrade. Remember, without God's call, you are in darkness, cut off from the presence of God. Without God's mercy, through Jesus, we are lost in darkness. Picture it's the end of an episode. The judges have come up to to make their comments on the house that has been built jesus has called us to be a part of his team we can either be judged on the perfect building jesus built or we can take our chances with what we put together jesus offers the mercy we need to see our homes not just improved a bit but completely transformed to match god's grand design for us a royal priesthood A holy nation, a people for God's possession. One of my great joys is asking God, great joys is asking God to help me see people for all that God has designed them to be. God always amazes me with how much grander, how much more glorious His plan for people are. I settle too easily. I'm fairly optimistic. I set the bar too low for myself and for others, but God doesn't. God is a perfectionist in the best way. God never settles for less than the most incredible design for you. So never settle for less than God's incredible design for your life. But also, don't settle it for the people around you either. Pursue God's design for you and for your neighbor. And if you ever doubt God's investment in your life, remember the builder, the living cornerstone God has sent to transform your life. And marvel. Marvel that God, in his design for you, plans to use you to transform the lives of others. Peter is reminding us that we are designed for holiness. We're designed for holy conduct. We're designed with a holy commission. And our final point, we are designed for the holy community. Remember, all of this is built upon Christ, the holy cornerstone. We are a community. The word church, it means gathering, assembly. At its heart, community. And I love to think of community as common unity in the kingship of Jesus. Jesus, our living cornerstone, is our living cornerstone foundation, but he's also our king, the high priest of the high priest of the priesthood, our good Lord. God designed us to proclaim together the presence of God, to together keep conduct that honors the presence of God. Each of us was not once a community. In my sense, uh, now more than ever, people feel isolated from each other. In youth ministry, there's a phrase that has been emerged. It's called connected individualism. It's what they used to describe a generation of kids that have more Facebook friends, more Twitter followers, more likes on Instagram than ever, yet they long for a friend. They long for time with their parents. They long for adults who care enough to invest in their lives. So are you a connected individual, or are you a community member? I wonder, when you hear the word you, does that translate in your mind to me, or does it translate to us? In 1 Peter, and for the most part in all of the Bible, you is a plural. You means us, not me. Now we are God's community, no longer in isolation from each other. We unite to God together. And yes, there are times where we need to wait patiently before God on our own. But the normative way for the church to worship, to experience the wonder and glory of God, is to come to God together. I want to share a candid moment. Uh, If this was the block, it would be me crying in the half constructed, uh, probably kitchen, and I'd be crying that the table runners don't match the architraves. In more seriousness, it's more like the plumbing's not connected. I'm not very successful at reading the Bible on my own consistently. I've never been a good chapter a day kind of consistent reader. I wonder if you're in the same boat. My encouragement is that with the help of community, I do much better. Me does poorly, us does well. There is so much to gain from each of us having access and the ability to read the Bible ourselves. But one Peter, and indeed all the Bible, was designed to be read together as the church. The Bible was wrote, written to be read together. And it's actually only a new, relatively new phenomenon that all of us can even read to do it on our own. So please take full advantage of this design pursue God together. When I first came to Bible college, it was Dale and I that would read the Bible one-to-one, or one-to-two. Not many people like getting up early. Well, what I thought I was early, I was a uni student. Um, And open the Bible, to get up early and open Bible together. If memory serves correct, 1 Peter was one of the first books we read together. Tuesdays at college, Tuesdays um, at the library, I read the Bible with a mentor. Thursday nights were home group Bible study. Me does poorly, us does well. Currently, Monday mornings, it's Jake and I reading through Ezekiel. Uh, Nathan and I recently finished reading through Revelation. Find a person. Pick a consistent time. Read the Bible together. Be realistic. Say, let's do this for six weeks and then check. For those that struggle with personal Bible reading, turn me into an us. Embrace God's holy design. We are designed for holy community. Look to Jesus, the living cornerstone but that transform your conduct. And let us pursue God together. Let us pray. God, too often I look at me and not us. Too often I want moral conduct and not relationship. Too often I settle for such a low view of who I am that I fail to see who you've designed me to be. Through your spirit in us, help us to grow together as a community that proclaims your presence and a community that conduct honors Your presence. Help us together, we pray. Amen.